Our sermon text for this morning is going to come from the Gospel of Luke chapter 21. Uh, The teachings in Luke chapter 21 are really parallels to a passage in Matthew chapter 24, which we likely know a little bit better. In Matthew 24, the disciples begin by asking a really confusing question. They say, tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That these things that the disciples were asking about was the destruction of the temple. And then they also asked about the return of Christ. That the temple was destroyed, of course, in 70 AD. And Christ, of course, has not returned yet. So in both passages, in Luke 21 and Matthew 24, we need to read it really carefully so that we don't confuse the teachings about the fall of Jerusalem and about the return of Christ. And what we have in our sermon text for today in Luke 21 is Jesus' teaching about his return in glory to judge the living and the dead. So if you're able, I'd ask you to rise once again to hear from God's holy word. And we read from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36 in Jesus' holy name. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars, And on earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will not be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all is taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and the day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Lord, as we now take a look at Luke chapter 21, pray that you would show us our sin. Bring us, Lord, to repentance, and also point us to our Savior, point us to Christ and his finished work, which is enough for us. By your word, Lord, strengthen us for your service, I pray. In your holy name, amen. You may be seated. So what are the signs that Jesus is going to return? First, Jesus tells us there are going to be signs in the sun and in the moon, in the stars. I don't know if you're aware of this, but yesterday morning at 10.30 a.m., there was a total solar eclipse that was visible in Antarctica. While partial eclipses are common, total solar eclipses only occur in a given place every three to four hundred years. This year we're going to have 12 major meteor shower events, which is higher than normal. We're going to have multiple supermoons, and we're going to have a total lunar eclipse later this year. What else did Jesus say? He said there will be distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and waves. 
Did you know that for many years now, there's been a strange, long-lived patch of warm water right off the west coast of the United States? It's warm enough that it's starting to cause very serious problems. Fish have been leaving their natural habitats and swimming for new waters. Hungry seals have been showing up on the beaches of California. This 1,000-mile blob of warm water is disrupting the entire aquatic food chain on the west coast. And it has scientists completely confused and worried about what's going to happen next. Jesus also mentioned people fainting with fear at the thought of what is coming upon the world. In all of my years, I've never seen anything like the fear that our world has over COVID. You see, globally, the world is looking to COVID and fainting with fear at every new variant and wondering what terrible thing that new variant might bring with it. Jesus tells us there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, signs in the sea. There will be great fear over all the world. Do we see signs that Jesus is going to return? We absolutely do. There's no doubt and no question that we see the signs that he was talking about. But does that mean Jesus is going to return today or tomorrow or next week or next month? He doesn't give us that promise. Scripture tells us many times that the return of Christ will come like a thief in the night. That none of us will know the day or the hour. In verse 28, Jesus tells us when we see these things take place, when there's cosmic distress, there's weird stuff in the sun, moon, and stars, when the weather and the oceans behave in terrifying and destructive ways, and we really see the world becoming undone by the effects of sin, when we see that, we should straighten up our heads because we know redemption draws near for us. You see, the thing is, cosmic distress has been happening since the days of the apostles. Weird and destructive things have happened in the weather and in the ocean since their days as well. Jesus' words here weren't given to us so that we could predict the timing of his return, but instead they're a reminder that we constantly need to be ready for the return of Jesus. We need to know that it could happen at any moment. And not only that, not a single one of us has been promised another day or even another hour. The day when our redemption comes fully could be today. So we need to be prepared for it at all times. Jesus goes on to teach a parable to reinforce what he said. He gives the example of the fig tree. Now, I know figs aren't uh, common in eastern Montana, but they certainly were in Israel because they thrive on a Mediterranean climate. But the fig is a late bloomer. When the fig comes out in leaf, you know it's late spring and summer is right around the corner. So when you see the fig leaves come out, you know that summer is pretty much here. So when we see what Jesus described, we should be ready. We should be prepared. He was telling the church of the first century, you have no idea what tomorrow holds, and I could return at any time. And he tells us likewise to be ready because we too don't know what tomorrow holds, and Christ could return at any moment. He tells us to be prepared. After that quick little parable, we have one of the more difficult sayings of Jesus to interpret and understand in the entire New Testament. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. 
Over the years, many people have understood what Jesus has said here about that generation not passing away in different ways. But I think the best way for us to understand it is this. That when Jesus says this generation, he's not talking about that age of people, but instead talking about people who refuse to hear the word of God. About people who refuse to repent and believe. Let's look back into Luke 7, because he uses it that way there. He says in verse 31 through 35, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. And also in Luke eleven twenty nine, he says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. In both of those passages, when Jesus talks about the generation, he's talking about wickedness and sin and, and the rejection of God's word. So when Jesus in this passage says that this generation will not pass away, he, he isn't talking about a specific age of people, but instead the people will re refuse to repent and believe. They will refuse to hear his word until Christ returns. There will always be people who will hear about their sin and they will deny it or find ways to justify it. There will always be people who hear about a loving God who sent his only begotten son to pay the price for their sins and they will reject it thinking they don't need it. But tragically, they reject it to their eternal damnation. And that's why Jesus gives us such a stern warning in these verses. Such a stern warning to, to be prepared, to be ready to, to know that you are prepared for when death meets us or Christ returns because the consequences here are eternal. Jesus tells us that everything in this world is going to pass away. Every last bit of it is going to come to an end, but the word of the Lord is the thing that lasts forever. This is a promise we hear about other places in Scripture as well, like 1 Peter 1. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The one thing that will always stand true, the one thing that's never going to change, never going to fail, is the word of the Lord. It's the one thing we can trust and stake our lives upon in the midst of this crazy, sinful, broken world that seems to be falling apart at the seams. In a world that it is as broken and wicked as ours is, it can be really easy to focus on all of the broken parts. It can be easy to get caught up in the struggles and cares of this life. They can overwhelm and consume us. And it can also be very tempting to find a way to numb out the pain and the struggles so you don't have to deal with it anymore. As a matter of fact, if we look back to the book of Ecclesiastes... Solomon tells us the story of driving himself headlong into the pleasures of this world. He, he gave himself to this world and, and everything it had to offer. He denied himself nothing. 
For a time, he devoted his entire life to wine, women, and song. And do you remember what Solomon found there? He found this world and its pleasures to be empty, to be meaningless, to be a void. He found that they had nothing to offer and nothing to fulfill him. As Solomon comes to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he tells us and reminds us of the one thing that truly matters. There in chapter 12, he records, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The one thing that truly matters is that we fear God and keep his commandments. Really what Solomon is saying is that we repent and believe that we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for us and live our lives in light of God's mercies in Christ. Jesus too warns us about either letting life's cares or pleasures consume us. He says, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. You see, if our lives are weighed down by the cares of this world, or if we give ourselves over to the pleasures of this life and allow ourselves to be consumed by them, then when the day of the Lord comes, it will be a trap for us. That is not something any of us want. Pastor Ben read from Malachi chapter 4 this morning about the day of the Lord. And as he began in verse 1, he said, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them all ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. If the day of the Lord comes and surprises you apart from Christ, then Malachi's description at the beginning of chapter 4 of his book is your reality. It comes like a burning oven, burning not to refine, but burning to consume <clears throat> and burn all arrogant and evildoers for eternity. And that's what Scripture teaches we are apart from Christ. It is only by the forgiveness won by Christ and by being clothed in Christ's righteousness that we are anything other than arrogant evildoers who deserve the wrath of God. Jesus offers us a very serious warning here in Luke 21, but Jesus isn't talking about something small. He's dealing with the difference between us spending eternity separated from God in hell, suffering for eternity because of our sin, or spending eternity in paradise with our God with no more pain, suffering, or death. There is nothing more important, nothing that should be taken more seriously than this. We need to be ready for the day of the Lord. We need to be ready to stand before the Lord, whether that day comes when Christ returns or when death comes to meet us. Because when that day comes, there is no longer time to repent. There is no longer any time to believe. You are either in Christ on that day and your sins are forgiven, and as God looks upon you, he sees nothing but the perfection of Christ, or you are left in your sin and your trespass. If you stand on your own merit, the day of the Lord comes to consume forever. And you will spend eternity apart from God, suffering in hell. But if you stand by Christ's merits, 
Then that day will be what Malachi describes later in chapter 4. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So may we all be ready for that day. And may Christ return quickly to call us from this valley of the shadow of death into his glorious light forevermore. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage from Luke chapter 21, where you sternly encourage us to be ready for your return. Lord, I pray that we would all be ready for that day, that we wouldn't let the cares and worries of this life consume us, that we wouldn't seek to numb out everything by diving into the pleasures of this world, but instead, as Solomon said, that we would fear you and keep your commandments, and so doing, be ready for when you come back. Lord, as we now get ready to go to your table, I pray that you would allow us to come freely confessing our sin before you and also trusting that at your table we receive your body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. By your supper, strengthen our faith, we pray. Amen.